0: That wonderful and joyous time of the year that has become known as the Christmas season is once again upon us. In the sovereignty of God for a few days and weeks at the close of every year, virtually the entire world is confronted with the belief held by millions throughout time that 2,000 years ago a baby was born in a lowly manger who was far more than just a baby. For he was the long-awaited Messiah of Israel and the Savior of all mankind. Perhaps the most familiar refrain of the master collage of Christmas-related narratives, poems, songs, melodies, tunes, and orchestral odes is that of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And what a wonderful message it is. But is peace on earth and goodwill to men really the message God proclaimed through the birth of the Christ child 2,000 years ago? This is Stephen Lambert. Join me as we consider that question today on The Real Truth. One of the things I love about the Christmas season is that for a few days and weeks at the close of every year, virtually the entire world is confronted with a belief held by millions throughout time that 2,000 years ago a baby was born in a lowly manger who was the long-awaited Messiah of Israel and the Savior of all mankind. You shall call his name... Jesus, the angel of God, instructed his human parents, which means Savior, for he would save the world from their sins. His name would also be Emmanuel, which means God with us, and that he is, for all those who receive him are infused in their human spirit with his very life, his being, his spirit, the divine nature. There are some other aspects of the Christmas season that still make it a very special time of the year, despite its annoyingly overt commercial exploitation. For one, it is by far the most protracted of all of the holiday seasons, and with its proximity to the turn of the year, it has become not just a day of celebration as with Easter and Thanksgiving, for example, but several weeks of celebration. Another aspect that distinguishes it from the others is the fact that it is the only holiday season that is celebrated to some degree in virtually every country of the world by at least some of its citizenry. Then one of the most unique aspects of the Christmas season is that it is celebrated with its own extensive and ever-expanding collage of season-related music playing almost ubiquitously in the background in both public and private venues for days and weeks as people throughout the world go about the events and traditions that have become a part of the landscape of the season. As grating and even offensive as the super-commercialization of the Christmas season increasingly becomes, In a sense, I can see that in the end, God, being sovereign as He is, it is He and His people who have the last laugh. What an irony it is that the season that has been set aside to celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world is the most crucial and, in many cases, pivotal financial period for retail merchants, great and small, around the world. It is its commercial value that undergirds the global tradition of Christmas celebration and commemoration. Our sovereign God even uses the root of all evil, the love of money for His own purposes, commandeering each year even the secular system to dramatically proclaim to the whole godless world that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die in their stead in order to redeem whosoever will from the sin that separated all humanity from Him. Throughout the days and weeks culminating each year, The message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration is conveyed in word, song, and various art forms. The sovereignty of God is truly awesome and awe-inspiring. Perhaps the most familiar refrain of the master collage of Christmas-related narratives, poems, songs, melodies, tunes, and orchestral odes is that of peace on earth and goodwill to men. What a pious-sounding adage, and noble longing, peace on earth, and good will to men. Who in his right mind could be opposed to the prospect of goodwill among all men, and greater peace in any segment of human relations than that which currently exists? But if peace on earth and goodwill to men was the primary purpose of the Christ child's birth 2,000 years ago as the Christmas carols proclaim, why has so little of it transpired on earth since then? This never fulfilled proposition of peace on earth has for ages been prime fodder for the naysayers and critics of the gospel, who point out the very obvious fact that to this day wars and all manner of conflict among men have not only not ceased, but rather have increased. Indeed, the fact is that man has never achieved peace anywhere, at any time on the earth. There has never been a time in the history of the world when peace was ubiquitous on earth, that is, the absence of all conflict among nations or peoples. Rather, nations have always been at war, either against one another or against themselves in the form of civil wars or internal conflicts. Even the very first children of the first man and woman created and formed by God had a war between them in which one took the life of the other. And that is in the case of Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. For Cain, the Bible tells us, slew his brother. The fact is, as annoying as the question of why peace on earth has never existed in the history of mankind is, to many Christians, it is nonetheless a valid and fair question. Why hasn't there been peace and goodwill in the affairs of men through the last two millennia? Is the prospect of peace on earth really even a scriptural concept? Even more pertinent to our real lives, is it a viable possibility? The short answer is, there is a genuine peace that is spoken of repeatedly in Scripture and is an underlying theme of the gospel of Christ. But then there is also a fallacious and counterfeit peace, the godless seek, that is a deception and false hope. A primary reason that the peace and goodwill that the world and the false religions of the world seek is a counterfeit is that it is man-centered. And man is wholly incapable of achieving peace on his own. Proof of that is inherent in the fact that he never has. Since the very beginning of the creation of man in the Garden of Eden, there has never been a time of prevailing peace upon the earth. Man's very first generation of progeny, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, engaged in the first deadly conflict recorded, wherein Cain murdered Abel. The fact is that the permeation of mankind and the entire creation with the corruption of Satan's nature of sin... Rebellion against God and His righteousness brought forth a state of incessant conflict of every possible kind upon the earth that continues yet today and will remain until the millennial reign of Christ and His eternal bride. Though the idea of utopian peace is a wonderful thought, it is nevertheless a vain, humanistic and unscriptural philosophy in this age. This is the reality that every Christian needs not only to understand, but also thoroughly embrace. To think or imagine otherwise is futile, fruitless, and a false hope. True peace, on the other hand, is not at all man-centered, but rather Christ-centered. Christ Jesus himself is the only true source of genuine peace. And it emanates only from Him. For Ephesians 2.14 tells us, He Himself is our peace. The Spirit testifies in the Word of God that Jesus Himself is our peace. True peace is a person, not a philosophy or a principle. It is Christ Jesus who is the child who would be born unto us and the son who would be given unto us, who is the prince of peace, Isaiah 9, 6. It is Christ Jesus who Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which translated means the king of peace, typified. It is Jesus who is the Lord of peace, who alone, because he is Lord over all, can continually grant you peace in every circumstance, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. It is the peace of Christ, according to Colossians 3.15, the peace that emanates from Christ Jesus that we are to let rule or hold sway, act as an arbiter in our hearts to which we are called in one body. Jesus Christ is himself peace because true peace is a part of and emanates from God, which is corroborated for one thing by the fact that the salutation of 12 of the 13 Pauline epistles includes the benediction, peace from God. It is the peace of God. The peace Jesus gives unto us, which is unlike the peace the world gives, according to John fourteen twenty seven, which surpasses all comprehension and which shall guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus. Philippians four seven, Paul informs us God is not a God of confusion or disorder, but of peace. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three. His valedictory to the Romans included the blessing, Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Plus the assurance that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The apostle promised the Philippians that if they practiced the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, then the God of peace shall be with you. He also revealed it is, thank God, the God of peace who sanctifies us, 1 Thessalonians 5:23. 23. Thank God, by the way, it is as the God of peace rather than the God of wrath, which he is as well, that he makes us holy, lest we all be consumed. We are told in Hebrews it is the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep in the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, who equips us in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. All of this leads us to the undeniable fact that peace is a person the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we want to discuss the fact that this peace that the world seeks is a fallacious peace of humanism. The secular idea of peace is fallacious primarily because it is based on the vain humanistic philosophies of men, or humanism. Simply defined, humanism is the exaltation, at the very minimum, or the deification, at the maximum, of man. It is a man-centered philosophy that for all intents and purposes ignores, or at the least minimizes, the sovereignty of God, and instead vaunts man to a place of supreme veneration. Indeed, humanism can also be accurately defined as the worship or veneration of man. We live in an age of humanism. A popular song of the 60s promulgating New Age astrological doctrine called it the Age of Aquarius. Anti-scriptural humanistic doctrines are pandemic in our world. Mankind gropes and longs almost pathetically now For an ever-elusive, idyllic, universal, utopian peace, and utter tranquility in which what it considers evil is no more, and all semblance of conflict is non-existent. Volumes and volumes of expressions of the false hope of world peace have been written in the annals of human history especially since the mass communication age began with the invention of the printing press and now the computerized technology or information age. Indeed, a primary contributor to the notion that Christ came to bring peace upon the earth is the melodious and highly inspirational Christmas carols charged with lyrical jubilation concerning peace on earth that are sung ad infinitum during every Christmas season all over the world. Just a few examples are Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And then there is the beautiful Christmas carol entitled, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that I love to sing so much. And a passage from it says, O morning stars together, proclaim thy holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. Another example comes from another one of my favorite Christmas carols, which is, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. Its initial verse says, It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth, to touch their harps of gold. Peace on earth, good will to men, from heaven's all-gracious King. The world in solemn stillness lay, to hear the angels sing. The lyrics of such Christmas standards, because of the time they were written, were based upon the King James Version of Luke 2.14 which renders the doxology of the angel of the Lord as glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. However, that is not the correct translation of the text, which fact is corroborated by most every English translation published since the King James Version. The correct translation is as Marshall's literal English translation of the Nessel's Greek text renders it, Glory in the highest places to God, and on earth peace among men of good will. The New American Standard Version as well captures the true import of the text, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Thus we have here a glaring example of how the mistranslation of a passage has resulted in a doctrine of men that is in truth antithetical to Scripture. For you see, the testimony of the angel of the Lord was not that with the birth of the Christ child peace would prevail upon the earth and divine goodwill would inure to all men. Rather, the angel was proclaiming that people with whom God was pleased— and whose hearts had been infused with goodwill from God, that is, as many as received him, the Christ who had been born, to these persons living upon the earth would peace with God in not universally to all of mankind on the earth. Neither was this peace proclaimed by God's word, peace between men and nations, but rather peace between believing men and God. The message was that with the birth of Christ, reconciliation with God had come for all men, which reconciliation would produce internal peace within all humans who accepted Him as their Savior and Lord. In other words, it is to redeem humanity that peace would inure, not to all humanity. Again, we're seeing in this series that peace is not a principle. Peace is not a peace program. Peace is not something that can be achieved through man, but rather peace is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man or woman who wants to have that peace must receive that person, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And now on today's program, we want to discuss the fact that peace was not really the purpose of the first coming of Christ at all. Indeed, the unequivocal truth that inherently is so difficult for the vast majority of Christians to comprehend and accept, even if they do comprehend, is that Jesus, in His first bodily visitation upon the earth, did not come to bring peace to the earth. Nowhere does the Word of God teach that He did. In fact, it conveys the exact opposite, that the purpose of His first coming was to bring conflict or war. Now, I know you've never heard this before, many of you, but hang on, listen. Jesus Himself explicitly and unequivocally declared, as recorded in Matthew 10.34, Jesus himself said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And the margin says that the word sword is a symbol of conflict and war. He is telling us here to not even think that the reason for his first visitation was to bring peace on the earth. Yet that is the very thing that the majority of professing Christians think. But as already discussed during our series, the reality is that there has never been a time of total peace on the earth, neither since the birth of the first Adam, nor since the birth of the second Adam, Christ Jesus. And there never will be peace on the earth until after the second advent or the second coming of Christ. Jesus did not come to bring peace to the unregenerate, evil-willed men in this corrupted cosmos, but war and more war until it is irrefutably established that true peace will only come when the kingdom of the Prince of Peace is manifest in the hearts of men and on the earth. He is the Christ, the Savior of all mankind and there is none other. After telling us not to even think that he came to bring peace on earth, Jesus categorically stated, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Luke's version of Jesus' statement is, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? Well, that's exactly what so many people today suppose goes on to say, I tell you, no, but rather division. Read that for yourself in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. These are the words of Jesus. Not only do professing Christians against Jesus' explicit admonition not to suppose that an inherent purpose of his first coming was to bring peace upon the earth between peoples and nations— But they also presume, totally erroneously, that Jesus' coming should automatically produce peace in all forms and levels of interpersonal relationships, especially familial relationships, that is, relationships within families. And they're quite bewildered if that does not take place. However, that presumption is false, foundationless, and humanistic. Indeed, the rest of Jesus' statement makes it clear that Jesus will also be the rock of offense, that is to say, the source of division among relatives as well. He says in Matthew 10:34, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Oh, friends, need we wonder at all why it is at this time of the year, the Christmas season, that psychologists tell us that more people become depressed? And there is more oppression throughout the world than at any other time of the year. It is because we have pinned our hopes upon the false hope of peace on earth and goodwill to men, and we have been disillusioned by that prospect, all to no avail. Because, as we have seen in today's program, that is not even the reason for Jesus' first coming. He did not come to bring peace on earth, but rather he came to bring a sword, a sword of conflict and war that would exist until he comes back in the clouds as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, bringing with him the Bride of Christ to rule with him on the earth in a 1,000-year-long reign of peace on earth among all nations. Receive him into your heart today, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Prince of Peace, and you too can have that peace which passes all understanding.